Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Again, I want to thank our sponsor, R&B Car Company, locations in South Bend and Warsaw. R&B Car Company are your used car experts. Website is rbcarcompany.com. Boy, do we have a lot to talk about today. We got Don Lemon uh, backtracking his mockery of Trump supporters yesterday and telling everybody that he doesn't belittle anyone. That's something that Don Lemon just does not do. Except we've got a long, rich history of Don Lemon doing exactly that. Let's see, we've got the USMCA getting signed into law. We've got Brexit. We've got a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, There is an internal memo from Pete Buttigieg's campaign that has now been leaked out, and it is causing a problem for him. So, again, it's going to be a busy day on the program today, so I hope you will stick with us. All right, uh, first I want to start off with Representative Stefanik. Now, she's Republican from New York. She has... She has forged a reputation, and I would not be surprised to see her in some kind of a cabinet position at some point. To be perfectly honest with you, when this whole fiasco is done, she is a rising star without a doubt in the GOP, but I'm not so sure that she is somebody who has designs on running for president or anything of that nature, but uh, I, I don't know her. I don't know her personally, so I don't know what her inner thoughts are about this, but She is a rising star, and she got into it with a reporter from NBC News, and then NBC News posted video of the exchange with Representative Stefanik, who again is from New York, and this reporter, and they deceptively edited the video, so they edited out all of the answers that Stefanik and two other members of Congress gave the reporter And I wish that I could play for you the entire 30-minute press conference that happened. I wish I could do that. Just know this. When I am, am talking about this issue, and you will obviously hear about it, just know that the words that I read are not going to do it justice. You have got to hear how this reporter from NBC, how combative she was, how rude she was, how many times she interrupted and how many times she would not allow anybody to even answer the questions that she and other reporters had asked of these three members of Congress. It is crystal clear that this NBC reporter, one, doesn't know the issue very well. Two, doesn't know the history of this entire process with the Ukraine. And three, was interested in debate rather than getting answers to her questions, which is a key problem With the media today, this is the reason that people don't trust the press. You aren't supposed to be debating the issues. You're the press, okay? That's for your editorial section of your papers and even your opinion programming on your news networks. You yourself are not supposed to be going out there and debating if you are a reporter on Capitol Hill trying to cover an issue. You're supposed to ask a question, let them answer, and then follow up if necessary. You don't debate them. You don't ask them a question, then when they start answering, you just dive right in and start debating them on the issue before they can even get the answer out of their mouths. And that's exactly what this reporter did. It was consistently problematic as she did this. Uh, Representative Zeldin, Lee Zeldin, also from New York, uh, he fired back. The reporter was Heidi Prisbilla over at NBC News. She made a fool of herself. She really did. Now, not only did she conduct herself poorly, not only did she lack decorum and professionalism, and not only was she absent of the basic facts of everything surrounding the history of Ukraine and this entire process involving the president 
and Ukraine and impeachment. Not only was she completely ignorant of those things, but she got shut down. When I retweeted Stefanix, and I saw this yesterday, but I didn't have a chance to actually watch and listen to the video yesterday. I just saw that she did it. And I wanted to make sure that I went through and was able to listen to everything that happened. And then there was just audio that was posted of Stefanik's takedown of this reporter, this Prisbala lady. And I didn't get the actual question. And so I went back today with the full intent of recording the question that she asked in order to play it for you so you had context. The problem was, is I couldn't. I couldn't. The audio was not good enough because you couldn't understand what was happening. All you heard was her try to ask sort of a question and then interrupt two members of Congress for several minutes and then try to ask it again after Zeldin finally said, you know what, I'm done. It's like, if you're not going to let me answer the question, I'm just going to step aside and let somebody else come up here. And then she just continued with the debate there. And at, at eventually, while she was sitting there biting her tongue, Representative Stefanik said, which? <laughs> she didn't actually say that. I'm just saying, in her own head, she's like, which? I'm going to step up and I'm going to throat punch you over this. And she did. And when I tweeted to, uh, well, I almost tweeted to Representative Stefanik today, and I thought better of it because, again, I'm trying not to get other people in trouble. My New Year's resolution is to be a bigger jerk, but I don't necessarily want to take everybody else down with me. And I figured that this would have given some ammo to some of her opponents, but I honestly wanted to tweet to Representative Stefanik and ask her where she buried Prisbala's body after she killed her. Because this woman was annihilated. And you're going to understand that. So I'm going to do my best to set this up as best I can without you hearing the entire press conference. Because when you, when you hear the entire press conference, I promise you there is, it is more impactful than even hearing about this right now. Okay. But she basically accused the Republicans of miraculously, suddenly caring about corruption in the Ukraine as if this were some new issue. And she's like, you guys haven't mentioned anything about corruption from the Ukraine. The president's never said anything about corruption from the Ukraine. Nobody's ever assumed that Ukraine was corrupt until we were talking about the Bidens and CrowdStrike, which is a complete lie. It is a complete lie. This goes back multiple presidents, okay? Everybody knows that the Ukraine is corrupt. Everybody. The defense of Joe Biden's quid pro quo in withholding a billion dollars in aid to Ukraine, Democrats and liberal media's defense of Joe Biden on that issue, is that he was right to withhold the, the aid because Ukraine is corrupt. Specifically, that prosecutor was corrupt, remember? That's their whole defense. And this lady from NBC, this Prisbala lady... I've never heard of before. She goes out there and she says, you're just pretending that corruption is an issue. It's never been an issue. Why are you talking about it all of a sudden? And that's when Stefanik said, hold up. And she, she got in there. She pushed the two guys aside and she said, let me handle this. And this is how that went down. The actual testimony, which you should know, every single ambassador that testified, everyone who worked in our embassy at Ukraine gave examples of corruption. Corruption was widespread in their elections, corruptions in terms of the, their financial institutions and Ukrainian banks, corruption in companies like Burisma. So there are ample examples of concerns of corruption, so much so that on the Bipartisan National Defense Authorization Act, we required there be anti-corruption efforts, which Republicans and 
Democrats voted for, except for three. I'm talking about. I've cited. I've cited testimony. I've cited testimony by our ambassadors that served prior to May and September. What specific investigations were underway that you guys were conducting between May and September? As we said, as we said all along, there was no official investigation into the Bidens. So you should get your facts straight. The question that you asked me. The question that you asked me was about corruption. The question that you asked me was about corruption, and I'm going to answer that question. Every witness that testified under oath that was asked about corruption testified that Ukraine has rampant corruption problems in their government, and that was one of the reasons why Zelensky was elected. September 5th or September 7th, I may have the date wrong, was when the High Court was put into place to crack down on corruption. But the premise of your your question is wrong because there are ample examples of corruption. Do you do you do you ignore do you ignore the testimony of ambassadors? Do you ignore the testimony of ambassadors? then there must be some kind of answer to what changed Zelensky had to form a cabinet Zelensky had to form a cabinet there had to be parliamentary yes to form a government that ran on anti-corruption efforts Zelensky had to form the cabinet there had to be parliamentary elections they had to put the high court in place that wasn't done until early September and then the aid was released before the end of the fiscal year so the premise of your question is wrong every witness has testified that there was long investigation he was just waiting to see who was next question this is ridiculous you need to go back and listen to the testimony every single the witness has testified. Well, what did the witnesses say about corruption in Ukraine? Corruption is a problem, and it exactly. has been in Ukraine exactly. its history. Which is why there's However, bipartisan support Zelensky for the National Defense Act. Rob Portman, who's yes. the Ukraine caucus chair, any other questions? Said that the any other questions? Should be supporting this president and doing everything. As this can. president did, this president provided anti-tank javelin missiles, which the previous administration did not. This president supported the National Defense Bill, which was signed in my district, actually Fort Drum, with security assistance to Ukraine. Three Democratic. House managers did not support that. So go back, make sure your audience I understands those facts. Understand well, let's set up an academic debate accident. later. Does anybody else have any other questions? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just, um, we have witnessed two assassinations this election season. Uh, we got Kamala Harris getting assassinated by Tulsi Gabbard, and then we just had Heidi Prisbola assassinated by Representative Stephanie. I mean, holy moly. And you have to understand something. This is after like 20 or 30 minutes of this woman berating them. Well, maybe not that long. The whole press conference is about 20, 30 minutes. But but her her line of questioning went on through Representative Zeldin, who finally gave up because he was trying to answer her about the corruption question. And she wouldn't let him talk. She kept interrupting him. And Zeldin actually, uh, he tweeted out, he goes, this NBC reporter interrupted us at least 20 or 25 times. And honestly, I think he's lowballing that, an- that, uh, that number. If you were to watch this video, and it'll be in the Daily Show prep today at theburningtruth.us, which is my website, you need to watch the entire press conference. Holy moly. And, you know, again, Representative Johnson, he tried to answer it too. And then he finally stepped back and let Zeldin come up. And Zeldin was going to answer this thing. And then finally Zeldin gave up and said, forget about it. And then Johnson went, came back up to go ahead and talk about it again. And that's when she, he was interrupted again. And Stephanie was like, you know what? Just step back. She just moved him back. And she stepped in here. And she just laid into this Prisbola lady from NBC News. And then NBC News posted the video of the exchange, lionizing their reporter. And they cut out all of the answers. You could have actually made a montage of all of the times that Zeldin and Johnson tried to answer her and she interrupted them. It would have been hysterical, by the way. Holy smoke, Stefanik just leveled her.
there's a little bit more to this. I want to talk about Zeldin's response to this reporter uh, and then go over the history of this because this reporter is, again, she's pretending, ladies and gentlemen, you're supposed to be a journalist. She's in a she's in a very prestigious post for a journalist. She's sitting there covering impeachment in Washington, D.C. It's not like she has got some weird little outpost in middle America or something. She's got a prestigious post here. You'd think she would know the issue, right? Maybe she does know the issue and she's just a liar. I tend to think that most journalists are lazy these days. But I'm going to go over the history of this because this this Ukrainian corruption bit, this is not brand new. This goes back many years, many, many years and even uh, even Representative Johnson, he pointed out that the United Nations labels the Ukraine as the third most corrupt country in the entire world, which they do if you look at the U.N.'s website. So we got more coming up on this here on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Casey Hendrickson here. Friendly reminder, I will be filling in for the great Tony Katz on his syndicated program tomorrow from 10 until 1, which means I'm going to live stream it on YouTube. All right. So if you are following, if you follow me on YouTube, go to youtube.com slash Casey, the host, subscribe, and I will be doing a live stream when I cover Tony Katz's syndicated program tomorrow and Friday. Okay, so we're talking about this press conference today, which frankly was hysterical. Uh, Representative Stefanik just obliterated this NBC reporter, Heidi, uh, what is it, uh, Heidi Prisbilla. And Prisbilla kept saying, Republicans didn't say anything about corruption. This, this corruption thing is brand new. It is only because of the Bidens, and it's only because of CrowdStrike, which is a Hillary Clinton reference. And no. The Ukraine has been corrupt for a long time. And I would like to remind everybody that the Democrats and the liberal media's defense of Joe Biden's quid pro quo, which it was a quid pro quo, not illegal, by the way, unless unless he was protecting his son by having that prosecutor removed, then it becomes illegal. But quid pro quo in and of itself is not illegal. In fact, that's all U.S. foreign policy is. You know, uh, if you give somebody aid, then it's usually because they're doing some things that you want them to do. And if you are putting sanctions on somebody like Iran, it's because they're not doing things that you want them to do. So that's the whole point of quid pro quo. It is absolutely a foreign policy tactic. It is a normal foreign policy tactic. It is totally appropriate. There's no reason, no reason for anybody to be upset by quid pro quo, unless, of course, Your son is being targeted in a criminal investigation, which the prosecutor at the time said he was targeting Hunter Biden. And you're the the vice president of the United States and you withhold a billion dollars until the prosecutor is removed. Now, if you have a country that is known for corruption and the United Nations listed, I don't know if they're still the third most corrupt. I doubt that they are, but the United Nations listed the Ukraine as the third most corrupt nation on Earth. If if you are let's just say a corrupt politician in the United States trying to protect your son, then you know that this corrupt country is, well, corruptible. And I'm not saying that that happened. That's just the allegation, folks. And it certainly doesn't look good. And it must be investigated. That is the entire point. It must be investigated. So this reporter for NBC News, Heidi Prisbola, says, you guys didn't care anything about corruption. Nobody's ever said anything about corruption in the Ukraine, except... We all know that the Obama administration was very concerned about corruption in the Ukraine. 
And that was the defense for Joe Biden's quid pro quo, denying them a billion dollars until they fired the prosecutor who was looking into Burisma and his son. Their whole defense of Joe Biden was, yeah, but Ukraine's corrupt. So we can't, we can't give them a billion dollars because of corruption. Okay. And this lady just doesn't remember any of that. She probably doesn't remember anything past two months ago, if even two months ago, because frankly, she got a lot of the facts of the impeachment case wrong. But I do want to remind everybody that, uh, let me pull this up here. <clears throat> there was an, an impeachment inquiry witness, okay? Catherine Croft, a State Department official specializing in the Ukraine. She was in a closed-door meeting. Uh, let's see. And uh, she said that Trump, through the Office of Management and Budget, the OMB, okay? Now, this is, this is uh, from last year, held up the first grant of military aid to the Ukrainian government of then-President Petro Poroshenko, partly because of concerns about the country's corruption and the president's frustration that the U.S. was expected to pay for its defense. So, going back to the fall of 2017, this is an article from 2019, but the fall of 2017, President Trump was lecturing the former president, Poroshenko, in Ukraine, about corruption. Zelensky got elected in the Ukraine as an anti-corruption reformist. And so Stefanik is sitting here going, she's like, well, we had to wait for Zelensky to form his cabinet before the aid could be released because we weren't sure if he was as corrupt as Poroshenko was. And the reporter is like, you have to wait for him to form his cabinet? And at least Stefanik is like, yeah. And then we had to wait for the parliamentary elections too. Duh. He didn't form his government yet. When he formed his government and the president was satisfied he wasn't a, a corrupt politician, he released the aid ahead of schedule. <laughs> these are, again, these are Jim Jordan. Four facts that don't change. All right? Four facts that don't change. And they got the aid. There was no quid pro quo. There was no denying. And that has nothing to do with the articles of impeachment anyway. So I want to I pull this up. Um, let's see. Uh, Representative Lee Zeldin, Republican of New York, politely fired back at left-leaning NBC News reporter Heidi Prisbel on Tuesday as Prisbel had repeatedly cut him off while she was trying to answer, while he was trying to answer questions during a press conference about the Senate impeachment trial. This NBC reporter interrupted us at least 20 to 25 times. It was obvious that she was only looking to disrupt and be a story rather than report a story. Well, she was a story because she got obliterated by Representative Stefanik. She's a little warrior. Holy smokes. Uh, she should care less what she could care less what we had to say to answer her question. And again, uh, it got to the point where Zeldin said, I'm just going to step aside. I keep trying to answer this and you're not letting me. So I'm just going to step aside. And that is after multiple times of him looking at her and going, you can let me answer. You asked me the question because she would go, well, what about corruption with this? And then he would go to answer. And she's like, because you guys are doing this. You guys are doing that. You gotta, and she just keeps going and going and talking right over him. And that's where Stephanie just had enough. And just laid this woman out. And then NBC News goes on, deceptively edits the video, takes out all of the Republican representatives' answers. Again, Representative Zeldin, Johnson, and Stefanik took all of their answers out of the press conference and just put a montage of their reporter going after them and them just looking like, what? What? Like, confused. That is what NBC News' news standards are. Holy smokes. I know that you know that, and I know that most of, most of the country understands that, but it was a sight to see. 
So it'll be in the Daily Show prep today at theburningtruth.us. I encourage you to watch the entire press conference because it is entertaining. And it has one whale of a finish, which you heard, but it's more effective when you see the video. Because Stefanik's like in her face, like, uh, lady, no. So very interesting stuff. All right, so the president signed the USMCA. We'll give you some updates on that coming up on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Once again, I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. The president of the United States has signed the USMCA. This is the big North American trade deal. Uh, This is going to replace NAFTA. NAFTA is officially dead. This is the new trade deal law of North America. We'll get to that here in just a second, tell you what's going on. Uh, first, I want to thank our sponsor, R&B Car Company. Go to rbcarcompany.com for special promotions and offers on cars, trucks, SUVs, minivans, crossovers, and more. Again, rbcarcompany.com. All right, so uh, we know that the USMCA was finally passed. Of course, this has been largely ignored by the press as they choose to cover impeachment. And as the votes were happening in Congress on the USMCA, they were getting little to no coverage at all because everybody was just focusing on impeachment. Remember, it's it's time to get the get the uh, get the thorns and the sticks and the pitchforks and the torches and everything out for the president. President Trump signed the historic United States Mexico Canada Agreement, replacing the Clinton era North America Free Trade Agreement that he called a disaster. The USMCA, which is the biggest trade deal of all time covers more than $1.3 trillion of commerce and is the second major trade deal secured by the Trump administration this year. The agreement has already been ratified by Mexico, but not yet by Canada. Um, So now what's interesting about this, and we'll get into the Don Lamal, his his insult of Trump supporters and his uh, so-called backtracking slash apology of it today Uh, We'll get to that a little bit later on in the program, but one of the things is they were mocking Trump supporters and the Trump administration was they were talking about how terrible they are at foreign policy. And the thing is, if you look at the foreign policy of the Trump administration, it has been far more successful than the last two presidents. I mean, far more. You could argue it goes back even further than that, but let's let's look at it now. North Korea is better. Israel's better. ISIS destroyed, okay? Iraq is more stable. Uh, ISIS uh, in Syria destroyed. So ISIS in Iraq, ISIS in Syria destroyed. Um, You've got uh, the situation in Afghanistan improved dramatically over what it was, although things are still not great there. Uh, But that, it seems to be a cultural thing. Uh, You look at the trade deals with China. You look at the trade deals with North America. it's, It's hard to argue that you can look at some of the stuff with uh, with Europe, with NATO, NATO funding, gosh, uh, United Nations stuff, getting the UN to finally pull their weight as well. He has been very active and very successful on a foreign policy stage. There's no denying that. So when you look at um, anybody out there who is saying that the president doesn't know anything about foreign policy, I, they are completely ignoring the record 100%. So anyway... You quote, you're going to see more jobs all across the economy in the automobile sector and the agricultural sector and, of course, in the energy sector as well. That is the energy secretary, uh, Dan Brulette. He's on uh, Fox Business with Bartiromo. Let's see. The USMCA requires 75% of automobile components be manufactured in the United States, Canada, or Mexico in order to avoid tariffs. Okay. 
By 2023, some 40 to 45 percent of automobile parts must be made by workers who earn at least $16 an hour. Now, again, there are some things principally that I think you're going to find a lot of free market uh, conservatives opposed to in this. And there are some conservatives scared to death of this and they think it's the devil. They're wrong. It's not. Uh, Is it ideal? No, no trade deal is ideal, ladies and gentlemen. But here's the thing. Is this an upgrade from NAFTA? Does this benefit the United States more so than the other two nations that participate in the trade deal? Or does it put us at a disadvantage? And when you answer those two questions, it is unquestionably better for the U.S. than NAFTA is. And it gives us a superior role in the trade deal while still being fair to Mexico and Canada. And it doesn't put us at a disadvantage like NAFTA did. And that's where you have to look at this this trade deal. You have to look at it and you go, it's an improvement over what we already had. And no, there isn't some giant conspiracy or boogeyman. And no, there's not going to be the Amero, which is the uh, the previously declared conspiratorial unified North American Union currency, which is all a lie. You know, this is... This is, without a doubt, an upgrade from NAFTA. It it certainly benefits the United States. It gives advantage to the United States where NAFTA put us at a disadvantage. So, yeah. Uh, Is it ideal? Mm, Probably not. There isn't such thing as as an ideal solution, but it is better than NAFTA was. Okay? The agreement is expected to create 80,000 new jobs tied to the auto industry. We'll see. And bring in up to $30 billion of new investment in that sector. Again, we'll see. Uh, The pact will also open up new markets for American wheat, poultry, and eggs, among other things. This is a good deal for farmers, without a doubt. This is a good deal for farmers. Um, Let's see. what did uh, This is Trump. This is a colossal victory for our farmers and ranchers. This is at the signing ceremony. Everybody said this was a deal that could not be done. That's true. They said that he couldn't get this one done. But we got it done, and he's right. It's another foreign policy victory for the President of the United States, and it's another economic victory and like I said, when you have people like Don Lamont who are out there telling everybody that he doesn't know anything about foreign policy, he is without a doubt over the last two presidents been the most successful foreign policy president that we have had. Now, again, you could even go back further than that, okay? But if you just look at the Obama and Bush administrations here, without a doubt he's had a better record foreign policy-wise than they have. It's unquestionable. And he's only been in office for three years. It's insane, really. And especially considering everything he's been dealing with. All right. That's not the only big news out there, though. We've got a lot of stuff to deal with. Uh, Where is this? I want to make sure I get the right thing. I want to go over this memo that was released from Pete Buttigieg's camp. A lot of people are very irritated by this. And a little bit later on in the program, we're also going to get to the Israeli-Palestinian peace plan and what other nations in the Middle East are saying about it. You might be a little surprised. We've got all of that coming up on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. We're getting some updates. Obviously, I can't watch the question and answer session that is happening at the uh, the Senate today. And again, it's supposed to be that the the two legal sides are answering questions from senators. But now I am noticing on Twitter... There is a large number of pundits who are covering impeachment who say that it sure does look like the Democrats have colluded on what the questions and answers are going to be. And Derek Hunter over the Daily Caller 
He actually pointed out that Representative Nadler read his answer to a question that he should not have known was coming. Isn't that interesting? He's not the only one. There's several pundits who have noticed that it is rather strange. This is uh, David Mortosko. Mortosko, excuse me. Uh, he's with the Daily Mail. He's a White House correspondent. The Daily Mail is not a conservative publication by any stretch. And he says it's rather strange that House managers have on-point answers ready for every question a Democratic senator asks. Either these members of Congress are extraordinarily well-prepared, a possibility, or there's some collusion going on. And again, when you point out that Nadler appears to have read his answer to a question he wasn't supposed to know was going to be asked, it sure does seem like collusion. Sean Davis says it's obvious that Schumer and House Dems colluded to turn the Q&A into a scripted TV show rather than an opportunity for all senators to genuinely seek answers to their questions. I don't imagine that tactic will play well among moderate GOP senators. So we're going to continue to follow that throughout the rest of the show and, of course, tomorrow and the rest of the week. So now, Pete Buttigieg, the Washington Free Beacon, Alex Griswold, Notre Dame alum, Democratic presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg's campaign sent a survey to minority staffers asking them to list any microaggressions that they suffered on the job. Of course, microaggressions are those things that do not exist. The New York Times reported Tuesday that Buttigieg's national engagement coordinator, Raven Hollins, circulated a survey to employees in January after numerous staffers of color reported feeling disrespected by colleagues. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that Pete Buttigieg, who has a black problem in South Bend and has a black problem in the rest of the country in this campaign, has minority staffers who feel disrespected by colleagues in his own campaign? Well, I'm shocked. Hollins asked that only minority staffers fill out the survey because uh, Whitey can't have any microaggressions against him. The answers were anonymous and will be used to inform our white colleagues about privilege and microaggressions. The list of microaggressions included being interrupted or talked over. Hey, like that NBC reporter to those three members of Congress that Stefanik had to take down. I guess that's a microaggression. I didn't realize interrupting somebody was a microaggression. Uh-huh. There's a lot of people that I work with um, that I, I like greatly, by the way, who interrupt quite a bit. You know, this is, <laughs> this is, this is going to come as a shock. Um, but in, in, in radio, we like to talk. <laughs> so we tend to interrupt each other. It, it, it does happen. But now I realize that it's a microaggression, Joe. So I can bring this up to human resources. Uh, Let's see. Being interrupted or talked over, left off of a relevant email chain, somebody else taking credit for your idea, because that never happens to anybody else, or insight, even accidentally, even accidentally, and been called the name of a different staff member of color. God forbid. I I would be in serious trouble, because I can't remember anybody's name. It's terrible. It's It's a routine joke around here. Let's see, the Times reports that the survey came because minority staffers frequently felt disrespected by white co-workers. Some Hispanic employees, for example, were asked by white managers to translate text into Spanish, even though they did not speak the language. 
Okay, but did they come up to them and go, hey, uh, you're brown, can you translate this for me? Or did they go, uh, look, I know that you're of Hispanic heritage, can you, do you speak Spanish? Because what would be inappropriate about that? I, I mean, I suppose you could just have the catch-all of, does anybody speak Spanish? And that would probably be the better thing to do, because believe it or not, there are non-Hispanic people who speak Hispanic. That is true. Um, and I, I hear that there is a country, Joe, correct me if I'm wrong, is there a, a whole country of like mostly white people that speak Spanish? It's like somewhere where-ish? I think it's in Europe. Oh, Europa. Okay. All right. Just, I mean, I've heard rumors. I don't know if there's any legitimacy to them. Uh, former South Bend mayor's campaign held a staff diversity meeting the day after Holland's survey quickly became emotional, with some staffers reduced to tears. Employees were particularly distressed about the fundraiser that Judge planned to hold with a Chicago lawyer who helped suppress the release of a video of police killing a black teenager, the Times reported. Pete Judge wouldn't know anything about suppressing police videos in audio tapes, would he? <laughs> he wouldn't know. He wouldn't know anything about that. The campaign had ignored warnings from members of its vetting team only to back away from the lawyer's donations after a public backlash. So his own campaign staff was like, dude, this is bad. Don't do this. And he said, but I want the money. And then the public found out about it, got angry, and then he backed away. So racial tension is apparently systemic inside of Pete Buttigieg's campaign. Um, Didn't a bunch of people here attack Sean Haas when he was running for mayor? Because Sean Haas said the police department was not systemically racist. And they said the South Bend is a systemic and institutionalized racist city. And I had to point out, well, it's been run by the Democrats for a long time. This is the guy. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel.